Before we get into the show, let me quickly tell you about a new podcast I've discovered. Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. What's so exciting for me is that this show is hosted by husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, who are fellow Manx. Yeah, they are fellow Mancunians. We are from the same city. And Leanne and I realized we actually at one point lived in the exact same area. What a small world. So in their podcast, Al and Leanne are dispelling myths, imparting wisdom, and answering all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Leanne's a business psychologist, and Al has led and owned multiple businesses over the past 20 years. Together, they blend theory and practice to help business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. Now, as a copywriter who loves figuring out what makes people tick and what makes them buy, I really enjoyed their episode with Phil Agnew. It's called What Makes Your Team Say Yes? Exploring the Psychology of Influence. Go check it out. Listen to Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. When you're searching for love in the modern world, a dating app might be one of the first things you try. But finding a potential partner isn't as simple as swiping left or right when you're a Muslim who's decided not to get involved in the dating scene. A lot of Muslims don't date in the traditional sense of the word. Instead, we do Bridgerton-style courtships with nearby chaperones keeping a friendly eye. And when we found our person, we usually want to skip straight to marriage, which, understandably, might feel a little scary to someone who's not used to all the marriage talk. So, how do you find a partner when you're not open to traditional dating? Enter Muz a dating and marriage app that lets Muslims find their perfect partner while also respecting their faith. This isn't an ad, stay with me. This app was made for Muslims by Muslims and it lets you filter by sect, how many times a day a person prays and even lets you invite a chaperone into your conversations. Startups like Muz aren't a rarity anymore. The Muslim business scene is booming. And we're seeing more Muslims than ever building products, software and services that cater to both Muslims and non-Muslims in sectors like Islamic finance, food, fashion, cosmetics, Muslim-friendly travel and media and recreation. And according to research conducted by the Muslim Lifestyle Expo, women make up at least 50% of the Muslim startup community. And that was in 2016. At the time, the figure was set to rise, so you can only imagine what it is today. But the thing is... Being a female Muslim business owner has its own unique set of challenges. The world doesn't always make things easy for us. I'm just going to be real with you. I'm a black Muslim woman. I'm living on a double-edged sword, right? Even if I took off my religion, I'm still a black woman. And the views of what people have of black women is quite damaging. On today's show, I'm speaking to Jennifer Oganyemi, founder of Sisters in Business, about how her lack of self-esteem and fear of being discriminated against as a black, headscarf-wearing Muslim woman stopped her from being visible online and set her business back by at least two years. I remember having the conversation with my husband. I said to him, I need to show up now. I need to let people know who I am. Not just for them, but also for myself. I need to be okay with who I am. 
Welcome to Mistakes That Made Me, the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake so you know what not to do on your road to success. My name's Iman Ismail, and I'm an email strategist and copywriter for online business owners and e-commerce brands. I'm a podcast lover, a pizza binger, a proud mama of two, and I have this radical idea that if maybe us business owners were a little less guarded and a lot more open about the mistakes we've made, we could help each other grow a business that brings us more joy and less regret. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to have you here. Oh gosh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. So as the name says, my name is Jennifer Ogniemi, mum to four. And what do I do? I'm going to say it like this. I think it's the easiest way to say it. I am the founder of the largest organisation that ensures that Muslim women is seen, heard and understood. And the reason why I say it like that is because I think it's the simplest way for me to say how much we amplify, advocate and help women show up in their businesses. But since the pandemic, that's also pivoted to like mental health and emotional well-being. So actually, I'm now seeing that we're much more of a hub rather than just an organisation that deals with entrepreneurship. So yeah, the thing to say now is, you know, we work really hard to ensure that Muslim women are seen, heard and understood. I mean, I don't know of an organisation that does something for Muslim women in the business sphere that is as important as yours. And I've been following you for a few years now. And so I've seen it grow and grow and grow. And I've seen how much it means to I was going to say your members, but people who aren't members as well, who are just watching you, you know, put Muslim women in the spotlight and also help Muslim women feel like there is a place for them in the business world. I think the work that you do is so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that is one of the main reasons why I do what I do. You know, entrepreneurship is just one arm of it, but actually a lot of my roots and a lot of what I do is the constant amplifying of our voices and making sure that we're seen in spaces, we're heard in spaces, you know, whether it's maternity, whether it's mental health, just the fact that we have somebody who can articulate, that can understand, and the fact that people can also resonate with is also really important to me. So as much as it means to our members and as much as it means to other people that are watching, it's something that I'm super passionate about and it's something that means so much to me because I have girls that are going to grow up and the same conversation that we're having now, I do not want them to be having that in the next 10 to 15 years. Oh, yeah, I I absolutely feel that. And for, I mean, the listeners cannot see us. So just to describe you and me for those who have never seen me we are both black muslim women from the uk you're of a nigerian background and so the work that you do is close to your heart it affects Mm -hmm. you what was it that made you want to start a system in business what was the motivation behind it a failing business i had a business before this and it completely failed and i thought that business was going to be the ticket to me getting out of NHS because I was working for NHS. I was working for NHS for the past 15, 16 years. And I thought that was going to be my ticket out. Not to say that I don't love NHS, but... Can I can I just interrupt uh, and say NHS for anyone who's not in the UK is the National Health Service. So you were a midwife, right? Yes. And then okay. career then went into from midwifery to breastfeeding consultancy to doula to then my very last thing was which was GP management and you know so I've gone through like such a wide spectrum of NHS 
I just had enough. And I was like, okay, I need something to get me out. I think as any woman would relate to, when you're on maternity leave, you have all these ideas that flow through your mind that's not going to take you back to work. And that's exactly what happened. And then I pressed launch and nothing happened. I didn't sell one thing. And I thought, I thought I'd done everything right, right? Because, you know, you've got the YouTube, you've got the podcast, they tell you how to launch and all these stuff. And it didn't happen for me. So I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do then? Because this didn't work and I've still got stock left. I've got no money left. Okay, so what am I going to do? So about after that three weeks of being over emotional about everything, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to go back to what I love, which is sisterhood and which is something that's a big part of our religion in making sure that we're all united and we're all together. The community, the village basis of what community is. I love that so much. I'm going to combine that with my second love, which is event planning. So I've done it. And I just remember my first event that I put up and no one bought a ticket. And I was like, oh no, trauma all over again. Like it's like triggering mm-hmm. all these things of what happened previously. And I just reworked it and I put it back out. And I think after one sold out event, it went to 10, it went to 15, it went to 30. I think where we are sitting today is like at 50 something sold out events. Wow, 50 something. Wow. So what are these events? I know, but I want to make sure (laughs) that the listener knows what are these events? So these events are networking events. So creating a space for the women to be able to come, feel, I don't want to say feel safe because I think creating a safe space is is something that there isn't you know there's always something or someone listening but I wanted to create a space where they can come and really be able to have a connection with each other on the basis of business because beforehand all the connections that you get with another Muslim woman is based on your religion right and based on the fact that you know we met in a talk or in a lecture or something but I wanted mm-hmm. us to meet on the basis of business and what that meant for yes. us in that space as business women. And so we have networking events, which creates that social inclusion part of it. Then we have the courses and workshops, which means that we're really able to have targeted educative pieces for the women, for them to be able to go away and to implement in their businesses. So there's like, it's two pronged, but I really love it because I feel like you know, there are so many different entrepreneurial hubs that offer all sorts of courses and all sorts of workshops. But one thing that I found is that none of them really tailor or really understand what my restrictions are as a Muslim woman. And that is the gap that I wanted to fill. I'm glad you ended on that because I I, I want to ask, what are those those barriers, those struggles that you, we we experience as Muslim women in the business world because you know there'll be people here thinking and I've had conversations with these people who are like is it really hard though for Muslim is it really or are you just creating a situation out of nothing because everyone's used to working with women who wear you know had scarves or hijabs now like it's not even a thing so what are these barriers that we face in the business world so I think first of all are we comfortable with working with women that cover the way that we do with our headscarves and hijabs are we used to it yet absolutely not because there isn't enough of us that are doing it so that's first of all second of all the reason why I do the work that I do is because whenever you see a statistic of a normal woman and I'm going to say normal for now probably not the right word to use but of a normal woman whether it's in business whether it's maternity whether it's mental health 
that statistic you can guarantee is almost double for a Muslim woman or a woman of faith that openly wears her faith is almost double. So for entrepreneurship, for instance, I was reading a article years ago and it said that, you know, women in entrepreneurship fail within the first three years. And that's normal because, you know, there's responsibilities and confidence and all of that plays a part mm-hmm. in it. But for a woman of faith, it jumped up to almost 95%. So I was like, okay, let me delve into that. And why is it so high? And there are so many things. And that comes to me answering your question. Confidence, low self-esteem, responsibilities. Majority of women that come into entrepreneurship are already mothers and wives, right? Mm -hmm. Or grandmothers. So responsibilities, not knowing how to navigate the business world because of the restrictions that we have in our religion that some people choose to exercise and what some people don't choose to exercise. There's also this barrier of access. It is not easy for a woman of faith to access particular services that, first of all, does not cater to her. But secondly, that she does not see that another woman like her has accessed that service. And that's a big thing. Representation is a huge thing when we're talking about services and accessing them. Because it's really easy for a woman to feel unsafe in a situation very, very quickly. And so a combination of all these things is what has created that statistic to be so high. And has anyone addressed it? Absolutely not, because they feel as if our voices are not to be heard, number one. But number two, actually, Muslim women are only meant to be at home and having babies. That's what the common thoughts and the themes are. But, you know, over the past five years of doing business, one by one, we're dismantling that by showing and, you know, empowering the empowered already, by amplifying voices, by creating a funnel of education that will make sure that her confidence is on 100, that her level of her, and the knowledge of her business is on 100 and just making sure that we're able to support all the way in her business to the point where she feels like, okay, guys, I don't need you to support me no more. I can go off and do this thing by myself. And again, again, what you're doing is so important. I have a good example of something that I'm struggling with at the moment, actually. So as we for anyone who kind of needs to hear what this kind of struggle might be in, you know, real time. I have started to be invited to live events again, which is great. We've had the pandemic for years and now we want to see people face to face. One of the issues that arises for me as a Muslim woman is that I don't want to be in certain spaces because it it compromises my faith values and, and beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. So when events are put on and they are for example um, at a bar Mm -hmm. or in a pub I kind of automatically excluded I still don't know how to deal with this because what Mm -hmm. I don't want to do is put my personal beliefs on anyone else by saying you know like can we change the venue which Mm. actually I don't think is an I don't think is an insane request I don't think if it was put the right way and be like hey could we perhaps like have this in a restaurant or Mm. you know maybe that kind of thing I don't think that's an insane request however Mm. I am just that person where I don't even want to like, I don't even want to bring that to the host. I don't even want to bring that kind of conversation. Mm. So then I find myself excluded from certain things where I am just not able to to be involved. And I would love to be, but I can't be in certain situations. Mm-hmm. So that is one example. So when you find yourself asking, you know, why are there not more people of X background in this space? 
you kind of got to ask yourself, if you're asking that question, have I created a space where they feel comfortable mm-hmm. entering? Because uh, sometimes we're just, we're not able to, or we don't, we don't feel like we can. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say, disclaimer, something that you said, Jennifer, which is, you know, some people are fine with that. Some Muslims are fine with that. And that's up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is up to me and this is what I choose for myself. Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't want to, kind of create this idea in everyone's heads who are listening that this is what a Muslim woman will say, do, think, believe. We are all individuals with our own, you know, beliefs and ways that we practice our shared faith. So there's that. But there's a good example. So I am kind of in this position where I'm like, you know, I really, I would love to go to this event. I don't feel like I'm able to. And it's a shame. And, you know, people be like, well, why are they not? Why didn't she come? That's why I didn't come. Yeah. And you know what? It's, what you're talking about is such a common theme. You know, I get invited to events all the time, as you know. And yes, I will speak up and I will say, unfortunately, I can't come because of X, Y, and Z. Because not that I'm expecting you to change that particular venue for this time. But what it creates is that thought process of next time. What is it that we could do to make sure that she could come if they really wanted me to be there? And that's the thing. I think it's a level of really, first of all, being confident in knowing, in saying to yourself that actually, I know you guys want me to come, but I can't come and I'm not going to come because this is, this will be compromising my belief and my faith, which is, you know, which is personal to me. But Mm -hmm. secondly, I would just like you to think about where you are hosting these things, because actually I want to say that I was in, I was hosting a roundtable discussion ages ago. I think it was last year. And it just happened to be that there was another woman, she was a Christian lady, English lady. And she said to me, she said, I don't even celebrate Christmas. And I, my jaw dropped because my assumption coming Mm. from a Christian background was that every English person celebrates Christmas. There's no way that you don't celebrate Christmas unless you're from a different faith. And she said, I'm not from a different faith. I just don't celebrate Christmas. So again, it goes to show you that it's not just for a particular group that actually we have to start thinking inclusively and diverse ways for everyone because not everyone again it goes back to that assumptions of what people have of each other everyone's okay to go into a pub or everyone's okay to go into a club and that's fine because you're okay with it as the host but Mm -hmm. for me and the other guests who may be coming we may not be okay with that the point of what I'm saying is if you are in those spaces and you do want to be in those spaces they're not going to change until you bring it to their attention because unfortunately it's ignorance you know, that's how I like to see it. it is ignorant. So definitely speak up and, you know, just say that, you know, it, it looks like an amazing event, but I can't come because of X, Y, Z. But the next time you do host it and you do host it in another event, I'll be more than happy to attend. That's so interesting. And I think it definitely has to do with confidence. It's so interesting because there's so many things that I feel totally confident saying. Like I'm in a space now where I can totally say, hey, I'd love to come to that event, but I'm going to be yeah. bringing my kids. So how does that feel? Uh, I was actually invited to speak at a conference where they were going to pay, well, they are going to pay for my for my accommodation. And my thing was, you know what, I, w- I would love to come, but I'm also going to need you to pay for my kids' accommodation too, because yeah. <laughs> they're coming. They yeah. are coming. So I- I'm definitely kind of getting more and more confident with my mm-hmm. requests, with how I am responding to certain requests. Yeah. But this one is one that I, I still need to still need to work on so it's I'm so interested in talking to you about this and I love that again we have so many similarities but 
And this is something that I definitely want to get across. We're not the same person. We yeah. don't have exactly the same experiences. Our our faith group is not homogenous, which is why, I, again, I say we're not here trying to um, have a discussion on behalf of every Muslim woman mm-hmm. <laughs> in the world. We're having a discussion between Jennifer and Iman. So mm-hmm. I want to move on to your mistake, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Because I see you do a lot of great things. So I was super interested to hear what your mistake was going to be. Yeah. So let's do that. Jennifer. Yes. What is the mistake that made you? Not showing up early enough in my business. I didn't, I didn't do it early enough. And what do I mean by that? I mean, visibly showing up letting people know who is behind the business and just letting people know, forget the people, but just letting myself know that it's okay to show up, you know, as who I am. And, you know, anyone that scrolls through social media would see all sorts of, all types of beauty, all standards of beauty. And I didn't think I fit into any of those standards. And that's what kept me back from showing up in my business in the beginning. What was it that stopped you? What was it that made you not want to show who was behind the business? I'm just going to I'm just going to be real with you. I'm a black Muslim woman. I'm living on a double-edged sword, right? Even if I took off my religion, I'm still a black woman. And the views of what people have of black women is quite damaging, right? And it's hard because as a woman, full stop, trying to navigate the business world, then having the pressure of being a black woman on top of that, then take the pressure of being a Muslim woman and what people expect of you in your religion and put that all on top. All those things scared me. And I remember having the conversation with my husband. I said to him, I need to show up now. I need to let people know who I am. Not just for them, but also for myself. I need to be okay with who I am. I suffered from body dysmorphic issues for years. I have never, ever seen myself in this beauty or I'm beautiful or any of that. I never did. And so showing up was also saying to myself that no matter what I look like or no matter what people thought of me, this is who I am. And I'm a really good businesswoman. And that should not stand in the way of me showing up, not only for myself, but for my children, for my legacy, but also for the community that I'm hoping to stand in and advocate for. I love that. And I love that you're so honest. And I think I want to make a distinction because uh, this might be a controversial distinction, but I'm going to make it anyway. I think that there is a different experience for a woman who is Muslim and a woman who is visibly Muslim, as in you look at her and can instantly see that yep. she is Muslim mm-hmm. because the it's so funny because that's the whole point of us wearing what we wear in the first place <laughs> is so that people can recognize us as Muslim right. women. So mm-hmm. we, we, we want that and then we, we get that and then we have to deal with the consequences of that. Yeah, And I I do want to say that I'm not disregarding the experience of a Muslim woman who is not visibly Muslim. And a lot of the time as well, they will be in a position where they are ethnic minorities in their community. So they 
damn well have to deal with issues and a lot of the time they're from cultures anyway where people will assume they're muslim whether or not yeah. they're wearing a a headscarf or whatever oh. else and so just a reminder for the people that cannot see us that mm-hmm. we're both wearing headscarves and we both wear what is known as an abaya or long dresses to basically cover our bodily womanly shape <laughs> so i I feel you. I feel you so hard. It hurts. And I actually had I had a similar conversation with myself. It's why I actually first named my business initially Ink House. I mean, I've rebranded now, so it's Iman Copy Co. But it was mm-hmm. Ink House because I didn't want anyone to know that it was Iman behind it. Yeah. So that's how yeah. much that's how much I feel you. And I, I was advised yeah. actually not to put photos up of myself, et cetera, et cetera, because people won't want to buy from you. People won't want to do business with you. So that was a whole thing in itself. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know, how did you run your business while people didn't know that it was you behind it? They didn't see your face. How did you run it? I done all the normal things. Like, instead of saying I, I said we. Instead of saying me, I said they. You know, I always try to deflect away from the fact that it was me behind it, right? So I never would touch on anything personal about me or personal about how I failed in business, I would leave that alone. But people, if you turned up to the events, you'd know who it is, right? You'd know that it's me, you can see, but then I'll stay away from the pictures, I'll do all of that. But, you know, it just brought, what you just asked me brought back a memory. And I remember sitting down and, you know, writing the copy for the social media and doing all of that. And I'm not great at that, by the way, like, such a task. And I remember sitting there and I was like, when I don't say I, I'm doing myself a disservice. When I don't say me and I say we or they, I'm doing myself a disservice. And so for a long time, people saw it was a South Asian sister behind it, a South Asian woman behind it, or they thought it was a group of people behind it. So it started to affect me because, let me tell you, running a business, you need validation somehow, somewhere along the line of you running Mm. that business. And validation Mm -hmm. comes from what people think about your business, what they feel about your business and what they say about your business. I'm going to be completely honest. There's a lot of people that go around and say, I don't need validation from people. No, we don't. But actually validation is quite nice when you do get it right. And I couldn't be validated because people didn't know who I was. So I'm here running the business behind the scenes. I'm setting up all these events. The very first event that I'd done, the woman walked down the stage. She said, I'm looking for, for Jennifer. And I said, that's me. She goes, oh, I thought you was going to be an Asian woman. And, and I just want to... Go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, you can see it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It, it hurts. Hurt. I, I have... Mm, I, I, this really bugs me. I really... It's, it's annoying me because mm. for... And I need to explain like the context behind this. There's a this misconception, and I will mm-hmm. say amongst Muslims within the Muslim community yeah. that black people cannot be Muslim. <laughs> All black people are less of uh, less less Muslim, yeah. less than than anybody else. And it's so interesting because what I mean, you know, I'm gonna say it. A lot of Muslims will be annoyed with me for saying this because there's this idea that we should keep issues within our community, within our community. Yeah. No, we damn shouldn't, especially if they don't mm-hmm. affect you, right? Yeah. Let's talk about it and let's yeah. get it out in the open. Yeah. I was bullied horrendously. I was tormented. One of my earliest memories of being tormented at school for being mm. a black Muslim by mm. other Muslims. Yeah. 
okay and that is the lived experience Uh of so many black muslims yeah today today 30 years later that is still the experience and so it the when when you said that she had assumed that you were an Asian person, that you're an Asian woman, really bugged me because a lot of the time that is the that is the assumption, and it and it's yeah. rooted in racism and discrimination. And you might think, but it was a simple mistake. It was a, no, it's an assumption that's based in racism and discrimination. And yeah. let's not call it anything else. But go that's ahead. It. Sorry, Jennifer, I had to. No, I had no, to say you're it. absolutely right, and we have to say it because for years, like you said, we we have always been the lesser of the community, right? People, that's how people see us. And when she said that to me, it was in that moment that I knew I have to show up. Because at that time, when I started Sisters of Business, there were no visibly black women, Muslim women, who were running businesses, always behind the scenes. And I had to change that for myself. I had to change it. I had to change it. Why? Because actually, there is no shame in who I am in being a black Muslim woman running a business. As I said to you before, I do not have any issues with my abilities. I know exactly my abilities, my values and the skill set that I have. But more importantly, it showed me that for every other black Muslim woman that wanted to be visible, it had to start with me. And I remember when I put my first picture up and the response that it got, I just sat on my phone and I cried for a good couple of minutes because I was like, you guys don't know what it took for me to be able to choose this picture and put this picture up. You don't understand because what other people see, I don't see it. All I saw was overweight ugly, you know, all the negative things that comes to mind. But then when I started seeing the comments and the other black women that were like, we never knew there was it was a black woman, we didn't know. That's when I started to think, okay, something has to change. And it all started with me. And you know that saying that charity begins at home is exactly that. If we want to make change and we want it to be everlasting change, or we want to give value, but value that hits, right? It always has to begin with yourself. And so two years after running Sisters in Business and, you know, having all these awesome things happen, awesome things happening behind the scenes, as soon as I put myself out and I was visible, even more stuff started happening because of the courage that it took to be open and speak and and to show that actually it's okay being who you are running the business that you're running. I I absolutely love that. And I'm so glad that you had that moment where you, it sounds like you'd freed yourself. You'd freed yourself mm. of, of everything that had held you back from, yep. from sharing who you were. I'd love to know how did this mistake make you and, and how did it create the Jennifer that we see today and the business that you have today? Okay, so there's many levels to this. On the basic level, it made me appreciate the beauty that I have, number one. Okay? It made me realise that actually my business 
is not dependent on how beautiful I am or how ugly I am. It's not dependent on those things. It's dependent on me and my abilities. Secondly, it made me because I saw so many other women that wanted to be visible, but they were afraid to be visible. So then I got catapulted into this coaching position of actually a lot of the work that we started to do was building up confidence in order for the woman to become visible. Because there's a different level that something happens to your business when you start to become visible. Anyone that wasn't visible mm-hmm. before and becomes visible, there's something that happens to your business when you become visible. And so Absolutely. I got catapulted in this coaching role and I thought, anywhere on social media, you will never, ever find me calling myself a coach. Never. Because there's so many out same. there. <laughs> I'm the same. What did I do? You know, um, I think I put a post out the other day and it was then I was like, okay, because people don't understand. I was like, okay, I'm a business coach and I think coach, but actually you won't see me screaming it anywhere. If you know that I'm a coach, you know that I'm a coach, right? And it's not to say that I'm not, I'm a bloody good coach. I know that hands down, but it catapulted me into this role. And I thought there are so many women who want to be visible. How am I going to help them do that? It unlocked this motivational part of me. And this is where I think a lot of people know me for, for the motivational, the the talks that I give or the inspirational talks that I give. Why? Because I understand what it means to be something that you are not happy with. Wanted to change it so badly because you want to fit in so badly. But then unlocking a part of me that was like, no, I am enough the way that I am in order to run this business, in order to be who I am as a friend, as a wife, as a mum, and all those other things, I am enough. There's power in that. It's not every day that a Muslim woman wakes up in the morning and thinks to herself, I'm enough. We have societal stereotypes to deal with. We have cultural and traditional stereotypes to deal with. We have religious stereotypes to deal with. We have so many layers of what people expect from us that we get lost in it all. Now, being lost in that all also means that actually, even if you did want to show up, you don't know how to show up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that part that made me. Because I knew in that moment when I did show up, this is how I want to show up. And in helping other women knowing how to show up, it unlocked the part of my business that meant that I went from just hosting events to now having adding multiple streams of income in order for me to be able to create a bigger business. Quick thing. As an email expert, I've analysed hundreds of emails and I see a lot of business owners making the same expensive mistakes in their email strategy and copy. I want to help you stay away from those mistakes, which is why I've created the Email Rules, my free 35-minute email class that teaches you how to boost your conversions and sales through email without making any costly mistakes. One business owner called Visma says it's the best email class she's ever taken. Thank you, Visma. Want to get your hands on it? It's totally free. Head over to emailcopycode.com slash email rules or hit the link in the show notes and you'll get instant access. Oh, and if you're not into writing your own emails and you'd rather me strategize and write your emails for you, get in touch. Let's make it happen. What is your biggest stream of revenue in your business? Where do you make the most money? Right now it's on rewards. 
We host these yearly awards, awards evenings, where we award Muslim women, you know, who have done amazing stuff in their business. And as much as it's the most stressful, but it's the biggest revenue where we can take in between 20 to 30K for the year. Yeah. And so how are you making that money? Are people paying to nominate themselves? So we've removed financial barriers for the nominees. That was my biggest thing. No one should have to pay to be recognised. Nobody. So our revenue comes from ticket sales and from our sponsorships. It all comes from that. Because if anyone goes on my LinkedIn, the first thing that I put, the first paragraph that I put is, we are tired of asking spaces at other people's tables. I created a table for us to be able to thrive on. And so when you come to our table, it's our table, meaning we no longer have to ask permission, meaning we're telling you and advising you to support these kind of women because not only is it looking good for you and your diversity quotas and your inclusivity quotas, but it also means that actually you are affected and you are raising the aspirations of women who didn't think that they would be where they are right now. And so, yeah, so that's like our biggest revenue. But then after that will be the networking events where we host them once every two months. And again, we rely on sponsorships, but also ticket sales to be able to thrive on my staff and the business and doing all the other stuff that we can do. Your staff, what does your team look like? Oh, my team. Let me tell you, first of all, shout out to my team. Shout out to my team. (laughs) Because my team, yeah, I'm telling you, people see the elegance of sisters in business right they see the elegance of the talks that I deliver they see it all but what you don't see is the entanglement that goes on beforehand my team is made up of my operations manager is a Pakistani woman and my social media manager is a Moroccan woman varying ages and they're special to me because they see the big vision without even having to understand it And that's important to me. In order for you to be able to do what you're doing, me as the head, as the CEO of everything, my vision is quite huge, right? Now, it takes time and energy for me to keep explaining to people what this vision is. Oh, God, tell me about it. Yeah. When you have people that work for you and they see the vision without even you having to explain it, without even understanding it, they're keepers. And so shout out to my team because my team do amazing work behind the scenes. And even the ones that don't like to be shouted out, you know, the the quieter ones, they don't like to be shouted out. But I have to because they are also part of my learning curve. The fact that I'm managing people and I'm paying people and sometimes I pay people late. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I say to my team that, look, this month, I don't know where the money's coming from, but I'm going to pay you, but it's going to be a little bit late. The fact that they can understand that they mean so much to me. And they're also women that look like me. You know, they look like me. They're Muslim women. They're women that want to do well in business. They are women who want to be seen. They, they're women who want to be heard and understood. And again, intentionally, I wanted to work with people that look like me. It was intentional that I wanted Muslim women on the team. Because in order for you to be the most valuable It has to come from people that understand what those barriers are 
without me having to go in too deep in explaining it because it's tiresome. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I love for people to have empathy with uh, what we're talking about uh, mm-hmm. and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But I think also those people who feel that empathy will be the first to say that they will they can never really understand it. Like they can yeah. have they can try their best to understand it, but of course you won't understand it unless it's a lived experience. So I totally understand. I I do want to say that your community is open to people who aren't Muslim as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's open to everyone. It is open to everyone. There's no discrimination. And I think this is what people get wrong. I think we look like a religious group, but actually we're just a group mm-hmm. of women who who has share the same faith. And I have to say that because we've had many comments, but you guys are a religious group. No, we're a group of women who look the same because we, we connect, you know, by faith, but also by business. But also it's open to everyone just as long as you understand that me and you, no matter what faith it is that we follow, we can have some of the same barriers in business. So as long as you understand that and you come in with an open mind and you connect with me, you you know, people say like connect. I say heart connect because there's something special that happens when you can connect by heart and not by mind. And that means that you're willing to let go of all the assumptions that you had about me you're willing to let go of all the stereotypes that you had about me and you're willing to connect with me on a level that's a lot deeper that than it being transactional you want to connect with me because it's a relational connection and that for me outweighs any other connection ever that anyone can have Jennifer there's so much that I could ask you there's so much that I want to keep you here for and just keep asking you but I'm I'm going to have to let you go. Unfortunately, I can hear you kids in the background. And one of the questions that I, I so wanted to ask, you talking about having sponsors and about sponsors being um, a big part of your revenue stream. So mm-hmm. when you made yourself visible in your business, not only did it skyrocket your business, not only were you able mm-hmm. to create, you know, the impact that you wanted to create the team that you wanted to, mm-hmm. but you also were able to attract sponsors. How did that yeah. happen? Oh gosh. So let me just, first of all, Let me just tell you, we knocked on sponsors' doors three, four years ago and they all told me I was too small, I'm too new, they don't know who I am, so go away, right? And that's just me being completely honest with you because there's something that people need to understand. Like I said to you, a lot of people that are going to probably connect with me now, you're seeing some of the end results of things. And I don't want people to think that it was such a simple process because it completely wasn't. It was hard. But with the sponsorships that we have, they came about because I just demonstrated the value of what it means to our community to have what we have. I was able to demonstrate that working with someone like me, who is a professional, who does have principles, who is not just, you know, because I, I feel like some of the time, a lot of, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of our sponsors have come from the Muslim community. And so they already have this assumption of us as women that we're not as professional, we're not as principled. And no, and we are. In fact, I am even more because of that fact. And so the sponsors that we have today, they're amazing people and they they understand the work that goes into what we do. They see the value. They see how it affects the women when the women are, are at the events or, you know, when the women are on the Zooms and they're talking and, you know, doing all of that. So I am actually quite privileged to be able to work with sponsors. But it does come 
with its problems. It does come mm. with its problems. I like to say that not all business is good business. There are times I've said no to so many because we don't align. You're not principled enough. Communication is massive to me. If you don't mm. communicate with I lock off, like it, I switch off. So there's so many things that I've had to say no to. But at the same time, the things that we have said yes to have been amazing partnerships. They have been, you know, great people, happy to give, and they do not want to dictate. And that for me is super special because actually no business can come and speak into another person's business and dictate what should happen. Yeah, so I just, I want to say that having the sponsors are amazing and it's hard work. And, you know, it requires so much patience and all of that. But on the other hand, we are still at, we're still at the very beginning of our sponsorship journey. I think this year we've, we've probably raised the most capital in sponsorships this year. You know, it's been hard work, but I wouldn't change it for anything because the results that come from that, I'm not able to put into words. Thank you for sharing that. Through the mistake that you shared with us, not being visible early enough in your business, what did you learn and what do you want others to learn from your experience? I learned that I am my own inspiration and motivation. I learned that I don't always have to have it right. I learned that it's okay to make mistakes. But actually, the biggest learning is understanding that I am more than enough for who I am and what I do. And if one thing that anyone should learn from me, it should be that no matter who you are, you have a story, you have a journey. And that should not be dismissed for anything. So as much as we say the big stars are our inspiration and, and there are motivations, it should always start with you. Because someone would look at you tomorrow and call you their inspiration and their motivation. So if there's anything anyone wants to learn from me is that, that we should stop leaning to looking into other people for inspiration and motivation, but leaning and looking into yourself because you clearly have it. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared and for being so open and honest about your experiences. I think a lot of people, whether or not they can relate to our experience, will benefit so much from this conversation. I want to end on asking you where can people find you if they want to stay connected gosh I live on so many sites but you can find me actively on Instagram which is sisters in business just find the big yellow circle and that is us you can connect with me on LinkedIn and if you just want to tap into my thoughts and some of you know the feelings that I have I tend to spill them out on my Twitter page as well as my personal Instagram page which is Jennifer Ogunyemi Thank you, Jennifer. It's been amazing having you. Thank you so much, Iman. It is an absolute pleasure. Honestly, it really is. And thank you for allowing me again to be able to speak into people that are going to listen to this and to be able to inspire and motivate, which is what I'm all about. So thank you. I was excited, but also a little nervous about putting out this conversation because it's so rooted in identity, racism and discrimination. All important topics, but let's be honest, not everyone wants to have these conversations. Not everyone is open to listening to these conversations. Even so, I think it's important we talk about it. There's no way you can ask a black Muslim woman like Jennifer, or me, 
about her experience as a business owner without identity coming up. I hope you either learned something new and were able to walk in Jennifer's shoes for a short while, or that you yourself felt seen, understood and represented. Because representation matters. That's why 50% of the guests I've invited onto this podcast are female black business owners. As much as I love podcasts, I'm tired of seeing so few people who look like me guesting on them. We're here and we have a lot of great stuff to say, most of which has nothing to do with race and identity, so don't limit us to those topics. Jennifer's story is a lesson in the power of community. I mean, her entire business is based on community and the notion of women supporting women. But it's also about self-love, self-acceptance, and the importance of being vulnerable enough to be you, even when you fear rejection. The world's greatest expert in vulnerability, Brene Brown, says, Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. You're listening to Mistakes That Made Me. I'm Iman Ismail, and if you love this episode, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, and tell everyone you know that this is the podcast to listen to. And tag me, at Iman Copico, so we can say hi, and so I can share your post. You can find the links to everything I've mentioned today in the show notes. Next time on Mistakes That Made Me. I was devastated. Absolutely humiliated. Not only that I had been fired, but that like this was all based on the one thing that I did in the business that like nobody else, nobody else was really doing. So it was horrifying.